0: So you know how I told you that uh, I've never had a cat live beyond 11 years? We discussed that on the programme and Margot is now actually 12. Well, we took a trip to the vet last week. Uh, She was having a mani-pedi. She's having a little claws clip.
1: They do that at
0: the vet now, do they? They did. She did it at the vet. She was actually having her annual booster. So we had a little claw clip while we were there just to try and salvage some of the furniture. Anyway, the vet was astonished at Margot's beauty, her sprightliness. (laughs) She jumped down off this really high table, jumped back onto it. She was purring. She was lovely. She couldn't believe she was 12 and said, this cat is going to live for a
1: very, very long time. That's the kind of news I want to start my week with, isn't it? My nemesis. Do you know what's happening? I've worked out what's happening with Margaret Trish. Go on. So as you get older... Yes. And you, you go into the vet, and you, you this is oh. like you going into the surgery, and you want the vet to say to you... <gasps> You're looking so young, so sprightly. You've been jumping on and off the bed. Margot's absorbing your life force. She is. She's my Dorian Gray. You're the one that's going to to go early, not Margot. Yes, don't say that.
0: (laughs) Death math's too far, I would say, from you this morning. Thank you very much. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards
1: from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy, and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Trish and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens.
0: Well, despite you predicting my untimely death, Lorraine, I wanted to give you a (laughs) compliment. You're, you're looking very right. bright-eyed and bushy-tailed this morning. How's the day going for you so far?
1: Well, I bring you news on the domestic front from Go the Candy on. Kitchen. Mm. I mean, this is where we're at. I'm talking about stuff in the kitchen now. I've done something different for breakfast. I've switched. Oh, breakfasts. And yes. I know you like food chat, Trish. Mm, and I, I do. know you like chat about breakfast. I know our listeners like chat, but they loved your muesli, what's it? Anyway, I've moved from my summer breakfast to my winter breakfast... <laughs> Which I Just used to do with my wardrobe, which I'm now doing with my food. Right. Um, I've been sent a big bag of oats, some yep. PR situation, Lovely. and I've discovered something that I thought would be just so delicious I'd be having it every day but I don't think I can ever eat it again. What <laughs> this, do you want to hear about first?
0: Oh is this this is a homemade concoction is it? No. Oh no you're talking about you've got oats mm. is one conversation is one and thing. then and strange breakfast concoction is the other one. Should we yeah. start with the
1: strange breakfast concoction? Jamie Oliver's fault, right? got his uh, superfood cookbook. Yeah. You t- you tell me these things are easy to use, but you have to have <laughs> a certain amount of knowledge. Anyway, I'm a massive Marmite fan, as you know, could eat mm. it out of the pot. Only person in the house that eats Marmite. Jamie's recipe, scrambled mm. eggs with mushroom, spoonful of Marmite. Obviously, yeah. I'm thinking this will right be... Right up your street. Right up my Straza. No, disgusting. <laughs> Really, least edible really? thing I have what, ever encountered what went before wrong? eleven a.m. in the morning. Oh dear. I don't think anything went wrong. I just think it's a it just f- it a fatally nice. awful combination. So I thought I'll turn to the oats. Yes. the big bag of oats I've been sent. I mean, what am I going to do with them? What well, do you do with you a could big give bag Give them of to me because I didn't get sent a big bag of oats. So whoever sent them to you, yeah. <laughs> can I? Have I used coffee? to get sent luxury designer handbags. Trish, I got <laughs> sent a big bag of oats this morning. Big bag of oats. Well, I don't I'd even know what to do with them. I haven't got Well,
0: I'm going to give you. Obviously, there's porridge. Yes, porridge. Just, I would, no, don't put marmite. Porridge. Don't put marmite in the porridge. Porridge is fabulous. And then baked oats, I think, is a rather nice one for for winter, which is a bit like your summer oats. I don't suppose you really do that, though, do you? Where you do mm. your overnight. So, oats soaked in <sighs> a bit of almond milk, milk. So, you make up a little concoction, whatever you like, of oats yeah. and almond milk and nuts and lovely berries and whatever. And then you just Beat an egg through it and pop it yes. in a little dish in the oven. And it comes out a bit like a muffin. And it's really yummy and very healthy and quite nice for a wintry morning. Put a bit of cinnamon, bit of wintry okay. spice in nutmeg.
1: All right, then. Okay. You're not is sounding back, are we Are back to the prunes? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, stewed fruit is another one of my little tips to have a little jar. Every week I have a jar of stewed fruit in the, uh, in the fridge right. waiting to be... Used. Okay. Well, I You're just really think... not impressed. Are no, you I'm going to just wait
1: for my secret toy boy lover to come around, pick me up for brunch, take me out for <laughs> breakfast. That's my winter plan from now on. Smash. Anyways, avocado? no point me to you telling no. me all of this because I'll have forgotten it in ten minutes. Because yeah, I'm in maximum brain fog mode at the moment. Oh, are you? have about my forgetfulness, haven't yes, we? Yes,
0: I know. Yeah, well, we've had some really good ones on the group lately, but I thought only fair if we start some of with some yeah. of our own,
1: don't you think? So what, what have yes. you been up to? What silliness and idiocy? I just idiocy. did a really silly thing. I don't know why I did it. I had to go to the supermarket, Sainsbury's. Yes. Um, and you know the trolleys are all plugged in now. You have to plug them in and then oh, you have yes. to have You have to have yes. a coin or you have to have one of those special things go to the trolley at the end, and for some reason, I don't know why I did it, I put my coin in the trolley behind it. <laughs> oh! So, the coin just yes. went in. Yes. All the trolleys were then stuck, the whole queue oh. was stuck, and no one could get there. <laughs> no. We had to find another trolley, poke it. I mean, it took 20 minutes, oh, and I don't no. know why I did it. And my, my 11-year-old said to me, why did you do that? That's a really, I just oh. said, I just... I just forgot, well, Mabel. See, I, I just, just forgot what you've been doing. Sculpt- I knew you Well,
0: did. I would have sculpted away in that situation and just... Oh, no, I can't leave a situation did You didn't want unsolved. to leave a pound. You had to solve it. No, yes, I had to you... solve,
1: solve the problem. Oh, you
0: know? at least you had an, 11, an 11-year-old to help you. Well, mm. I'm pitching for a place on the chart of bloopers with my little endeavour last week, which was I left the... Uh, we've got hybrid car, and I left the electric charging, you know, like the flap and the thing that plugs in, yes. uh, like, like, like a petrol yes. cat basically. Yes. And I was driving around with this thing obviously completely open, people bibbing at me, men in white vans. And I was just, was yes, oh, stop bibbing at me. They were trying <laughs> to tell me something. And actually, I ended up in the car park next to a load of trolleys. And it was only when I came back from my shopping that I spotted <laughs> <laughs> How I didn't rip the thing off no. with reversing in and out of... Because obviously it took me about 20 goes to get into the parking spaces. It's <laughs> quite beyond me. I
1: mean, you
0: know, I I'm not know. sure. I'm not it's sure. It's brain
1: fog malarkey. Yeah. It's bad, but it's not as good as the one on our private Facebook group oh, from yes. Joe, who says, got in after a night out. I'm quite impressed with that situation anyway, night out. Mm. Promptly used... My Easter gel, which is her HRT, to remove my eye makeup.
0: <laughs> that is quite impressive. I'm going yeah. to ask a question. I'm not judging, I'm not being married. No Do we think that joe had had more than a few glasses
1: <laughs> of alcoholic <Yes>. beverages? <laughs>
0: Or did we she think just forget to jo put her glasses
1: was, on? Yes, we think that behind Joe was a trail of all her clothes up the stairs. <laughs> you know that thing you do when you try to come in quietly and you think, oh, it's a good idea, I'll take all my clothes off now before I get yes. in the bedroom and then I won't wake anyone up, It just yes. makes so much more noise. I and think they, that's what happened there. I
0: wonder if it stung. She's going to have to let us know. But anyway, Fiona had, or nearly had, an HRT mishap too. She posted on the group saying that she very nearly used her testosterone gel to brush her teeth with the other week. <laughs> She had. Do you think she would have had hairy gums? Because you know how it makes you a bit hairy, doesn't it? When you it doesn't went, make me it
1: hairy. In. That's the interesting thing. Oh, you you have no hair. You're a bit, I'm bit a, like a hairless strange. cat. That's why Margot doesn't oh, like one me. one of those yeah.
0: sphinx, weird sphinxy <laughs> Egyptian ones? I think I'm very, I'm on the fluffy Margot side. But let's not go there.
1: <laughs> I didn't want to mention your moustache.
0: Oh Jess. no. Well, listen. If it's any consolation, you're I right, think... Salvador
1: Dali this morning. <laughs>
0: Yes, I made a bit of an effort twirling it up at the end <laughs> It was very nice. But listen, I think uh, midlife men get this too. I know we've yes. got the, you know, the menopause situation, but I think that they get it too because Neil, let me tell you a little story about Neil. We went away for the weekend. Frisky Neil, as we named frisky him Frisky Neil. But forget Frisky, forgetful. I'm going to call, start calling him Neil. Went away for the weekend. We were doing that thing, which we have talked about on the show before, where you go away together as a couple for a few days and just talk about Live, talk about your relationship, think about your second act, because obviously your empty nest, all of that. So we thought, right, we're going to go and do this really lovely. He didn't pack any clothes. We... <laughs> what kind of weekend was he hoping for then? <laughs> so we were going to have three nights, obviously, either in the pub eating or in the restaurant, yes. the hotel. We were going out for big muddy walks and yeah. he brought two shirts, um, a pair of walking boots and one pair of socks and one pair of pants. Now, mm. There was a lot of sponging down having to be done between the turning inside and outside that. of these clothes. So, yeah, I think it might be a ruse, though. Just to, You know how like, yeah. older men like their wives to do their packing? Yes. From? It's very much a kind of boomer thing, isn't it? I just think I the think Gen it's... X men are mm. playing that
1: card as well, and I'm not having it. I think they've watched Dad do it. My husband is pretty similar to that. He? he almost always forgets more, more than the pair of pants yeah. he's travelling with and my son as well oh, actually yeah. I don't think it's age related and maybe it's a gender thing mm. he packed um, we just went when we went away for half term he packed two t-shirts one pair of pants no swimming trunks even though we were going to a place where we could swim with beaches and things um, and some really thick hot jogging trousers <laughs> That was it, oh, and, and and because I hadn't checked, because if I hadn't checked, then we, he would have gone away with that. So then I had to you repack. Through. It's a bit like, I mean, maybe that it's like us being mum, isn't it, and being in charge. Yes. you know, it's not fair. I have to pack for everybody. It drives me absolutely mm-hmm. mad, especially much. now when I'm quite forgetful.
0: Yes, you've got too many children to be doing that for. That's mm. what I would have to say, but um, to be fair to Neil, he didn't moan at all. We went on a wet and windy walk, and he was in a dish. <laughs> He <laughs> didn't complain, bless him. But that's the difference I between the sexes. I mean, I would have been complaining like anything and I would have had to turn around and drive home or go to a Trish. shop. But he was just as
1: Scotty we know, with, it. Yes. <laughs> with you, conditions have to be absolutely perfect <laughs> and you have to be 100% prepared, <laughs> don't exactly. you? Exactly. Yeah. I like
0: to be organised. I yeah. do like to be organised. But uh, differences between men and women, we're going to be mm-hmm. talking about that a bit later on in the show in a, slightly more se- well, a much more serious way, in fact, because um, we, We've discovered quite an alarming one haven't we which is yeah. that women and particularly women in midlife are more susceptible to autoimmune diseases than men and actually get them at a ratio of three to one and we wanted to find out more about this so we've been delving into the topic speaking to an expert to find out exactly what is going on and and understanding the link that's being established with menopause and also long covid too it's all thrown in together so we we
1: need to know more don't we yeah i think everyone needs to just sort of take a moment to listen to that and think about it because there are so many symptoms and you know as we know in midlife we are often confusingly prescribed Mm. and diagnosed many different things we're going to be sharing what we discovered later on in our how to win at midlife section because as you know we are on a mission with this podcast to boldly go where no other podcast has been before and we do discuss all the important issues for women in midlife especially your health and well-being and we like to keep you informed it's not just drivel about (laughs) orange oats and marmite in eggs is it trish no definitely not or hopeless men's packing no and
0: as well as keeping you informed today we'll also hopefully be making you laugh we'll be having a few laughs intentionally
1: making you laugh as opposed to accidentally
0: (laughs) yes general silliness because today's guest is an award-winning comic Angela Barnes, who is the star of Radio 4's news quiz and telly's Mock the Week. And Angela will be chatting about her career switch from working in social care to becoming a comedian and her personal midlife journey too. I'm looking forward to that trish mm-hmm. i like to have
1: funny people on the show Me i can't too. carry it with no my it's just yeah, exactly. On Only my you. own, exactly
0: all that comedy from you and margo
1: <laughs> yeah exactly uh, well we do need laughs in our lives don't we right now so yes let's get ready to meet angela Our guest today is award-winning comedian Angela Barnes. The Guardian called her a gloriously down-to-earth, straight-talking and extremely funny comic. And you'll recognise her best perhaps from her star turns on TV's Mock the Week. Known for her quick-fire punchlines, Angela 46 has appeared at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, toured with Alan Carr, starred in Live at the Apollo and is often a guest on TV's 8 out of 10 Cats. After winning the twenty eleven BBC New Comedy Prize, she went on to host Radio 4's Newsjack and is a regular panelist on the station's news quiz. She also appeared on Richard Osman's House of Games. Her own tour, Hot Mess, has been described as a masterful comedy and is back for twenty twenty three. Angela who has been hard of hearing since childhood, has been called one of the hardest working comics on the circuit, performing a 100 shows at 91 venues in 2018. But before she launched her comedy career, age 33, Angela worked in mental health and social care for 10 years. In 2021, the comedian was clinically diagnosed with ADHD. We'll be chatting to her about this and much more. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Angela. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, it's <laughs> lovely to have someone here
2: who's gonna make us laugh, we're looking forward to that. Thank that you. feels like it's a lot of high. pressure early on. I don't, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure that was in the deal, was it? Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> been a terrible
1: Anyway,
2: <laughs> so shall we start at the beginning? Yes. Um, and can you
1: tell us, well, tell our listeners why you wanted to be a comedian and why you initially delayed your dream of making that your profession?
2: Okay, sure. Well, I I mean, I didn't start doing stand up till I was in my early 30s. Mm. I mean, getting on for mid 30s, really. Um, And I was always a a bit of a comedy nerd. Like I loved watching stand up. I loved going to live comedy, watching it on telly, you know, on the radio. Um, But it never really occurred to me that it was something that I could do. I think partly, you know, I come from a very sort of working class background. It wasn't that, you know, no one went into the arts. I mean, it feels very lofty calling it the arts, but you know, into that world. It just wasn't something that women like me did particularly because I was such a fan of comedy. I actually started running a a little comedy night just in a a room above a pub in Brighton where I lived just for fun. Uh, I never actually performed at it. I just booked the comedians to come down. And it was my dad who loved comedy as well. And he always used to come to these comedy nights. And and he'd say to me, why don't you have a go? You know, why don't you do it? And I'd be like, don't be stupid. It's those clever ones (laughs) that do that, not me. And then my dad passed away very suddenly in 2008. He was 60. And it just made you go, do you know what? Life short, isn't it? This is a thing that I love, and I just thought, well, sod it, and here we are. <laughs> and we love to hear about your dad, Derek. Very sad, obviously, at his passing, but the the influence that he had on your career. But we believe he owned a sex shop. He he didn't own it, but he did he did manage it. Yes. Okay. Um, just to make it even classier, it was in Great Yarmouth. <laughs> um, very classy establishment, as you can imagine. <laughs> I mean, my dad was what everyone would call a character, loved life, very youthful, very, you know, a raconteur, would hold everyone's attention at gatherings, you know, with the stories that all of us in the family had heard a million times. We'd roll our eyes and go, oh, God, here he goes again, you know, but that was the sort of person that he was, very larger than life. He was you know, an interesting chat—a swinger, a naturist, uh, ran, a, <laughs> worked at his sex shop. So yeah, it, it wasn't your average, your average dad. I think it's fair to was say. That, was that embarrassing as
1: a teenager? Because anything your parents do when you're younger is jolly embarrassing. But a yeah.
2: naturist sex shop
1: manager must have been.
2: I mean, I take on. Yeah, I do think my dad made it his life's work to embarrass me. I do think that that was all good training for what I've ended up doing for a living, you know, when you're just sort of unembarrassable, really. Nothing could be as embarrassing as the things that he used to do. I mean, he didn't actually work in the sex shop till I was a bit older, till I was sort of late teens. You know, I used to do a joke about take your daughter to work day being a bit awkward, but that (laughs) that was just a joke. I have never had so many male friends as I had when my dad worked in a sex shop. And, you know, I'd I'd take them up there and they'd come home with bags full of free DVDs and things. So, yeah, made me very popular amongst a certain group of friends.
0: did you end up working in in social care then originally and what has stayed with you from that part of your career
2: everything I've done in my life I think has been by accident and I I guess that's the case for a lot of people but I was never one of these people who you know at school knew exactly what they wanted to do and they had their dream and they went and followed it that never was the case for me and I and I'm sure we'll talk about this later but I got diagnosed later in life with ADHD Mm -hmm. and that's made a lot of my route to where I am make a lot more sense now because when I was at school I was was very um uh, bright i went was moved up a year i was very so i was full of potential i think when i was at school and, and expectations and when i left school that all really fell apart um because what i now know with hindsight and looking back but what i didn't know at the time you know for somebody with adhd but who is quite bright you're very good at masking what's actually going on. So I would do my homework at the last minute under stress and panic and get myself in a state about it. But it would get done, it would get handed in and it would be good enough because I was bright. And so nothing was ever picked up as being an issue. I was called a worrier when I was a kid and things like that. And then I just... I just got lost for my early mm. 20s really I think I was very unfocused and I didn't know what I wanted to do and I kind of fell into doing care work because I just needed a job I needed to pay my rent from that I was like oh I quite like doing this I'm getting something out of doing this and so then I went and did nursing first and then I sort of moved more into social care because I I really enjoyed nursing but I like the more sort of working with people more longer term so mm. you know in nursing very often you're you know you know someone comes in you patch them up send them on their way whereas in social care you know you have a caseload of people that you work with continuously I found that a bit more rewarding and I also myself during my 20s was in the mental health system myself I was on both sides of the coin really I was working in mental health but also using mental health services so I think while that was a part of my life it was difficult in many ways I got a lot out of it I think it's quite time limited. I remember working with a lot of people that I thought you're burnt out and you shouldn't be doing this anymore. Yeah. And I didn't want to be that person. I was very lucky that comedy sort of accidentally came along and gave me a route into doing something else. And you had constant ear infections when you were little which led to you being hard of hearing
1: didn't it so that was something yeah. else you were dealing with when you were in the mental health system was that part of it what what was going on
2: hindsight's an amazing thing I have a current glue ear when I was a kid and I've got something called tympanic sclerosis which is like calcium deposits on the eardrum and what that means is it just prevents the eardrum from vibrating effectively so it's lots of scar tissue and stuff which then means you don't hear yeah. as well i was about 18, I think, when my hearing properly, noticeably started going. But I was told at the time, you know, that it would fluctuate and that it wasn't something that hearing aid devices could particularly be helpful for. And I just had to sort of suck it up, really. I kind of coped, like we do, you know. I was lip reading. I was doing my best to. Quite hard and work, though, isn't it? It's it was. Like, it was that. exhausting. And I remember one manager I had once saying to me, because I had a device that I could plug into the telephone in the office, which would amplify the telephone, so I could hear it better and i remember a manager saying to me that it was all in my head and i was just attention seeking you know and stuff like that and i just sort of put up with it and but it did get worse it wasn't till i was much older till about five years ago because i just had in my head i'd been told that hearing devices would be no good for me but i just thought i'm going to explore this i think i got some leaflet through the door you know from amplifon or somewhere just saying come and have your probably when i turn 40 because that's when those leaflets start coming (laughs) through the door isn't it just suddenly (laughs) like oh you're falling apart have this it's Um, a long time to put it was, not, it was a really could long have been. time. <laughs> and that's why now I do talk a lot about people, you know, because we don't think twice about getting our eyes tested and wearing glasses, no. you know, and any tiny little thing that needs correcting in our vision, we do it. But for some reason, without hearing, we just mm. put up with it. And the devices are so, I mean, I'm wearing headphones at the moment, but if I take them off and I'll show you on this Zoom, you mm. can't see them at I all. No. I think people associate hearing aids particularly with aging, and that's why it that, mm. that puts people off. Exploring that. But what I say to those people is that the thing that makes you look old isn't hearing aids. The thing that makes you look old is having your telly up really loud or, you know, people <laughs> Shout constantly <to> <laughs> shouting at you and you ignoring them. You know, yes. that's what makes you look old, not a couple of bits of plastic yeah. behind your ears. So you went through all of that hard work for 10 years of suffering with your own low mental health and hearing, and then you
1: make the decision to go and stand on stage in front of huge crowds and make them laugh. I mean, that's the... It's not like acting, is it? It's really hard
2: making people laugh. But how? Where does that come from, that confidence? Well, it's funny because it sounds so counterintuitive, doesn't it? That if you're sort of have low self esteem and you're shy and you're that that's what you would choose to do. I think it was Stephen Fry, and I might have got it wrong, it might be someone else, but I'm pretty sure it was Stephen Fry. He said, The thing that makes a comedian is too attributes that don't often go together and that is crippling low self-esteem <laughs> but a need to show off <laughs> there's, it's sort of i'm the worst person in the world but look at me you know <laughs> me. and and i think there's some truth in that and my little theory about it is is that a lot of us in comedy well, particularly at the moment, a lot of us are being diagnosed with ADHD and, and sort of neurodivergence of all kinds is very prevalent in, in comedians. And I, and I don't think that's a, a coincidence. You know, I think there's if you're very secure and stable and neurotypical, you don't need to go you know drive for four hours for 20 people in a room above a pub to laugh at your jokes and then get in a car <laughs> no. and drive home again. No one feels the need to do that if they're mm-hmm. secure and stable. And I think also there's something about that that's different to other performance is you know immediately in that moment if you've succeeded or not you do a joke and they either laugh or they don't and if they haven't laughed you've failed and if they have laughed you've succeeded it's that easy to read what's going on in the room whereas if you do a play for example you might have to wait till the reviews come out to find out whether people liked it or not you know or wait till you get home and look at twitter or whatever you don't always have that immediate feedback that you have with stand-up and for someone like me that's really important to know I'm, I'm getting it right as I go along otherwise I'm worrying about it
0: and with the ADHD then and your diagnosis because it sounds like you're incredibly self-aware now Angela about how it makes you behave and feel and think and so did that come with the diagnosis or had you started working these things out beforehand
2: Well it sort of came with the diagnosis but there were little inklings I had for a lot of us I think it all sort of came to a head during the pandemic because I think Mm -hmm. what lockdown did you know we all had to live with ourselves suddenly and we could all those things that we do to distract ourselves from the things that bother us you suddenly couldn't do they weren't those safety nets weren't there and so I think that's why a lot of these things are coming out now and I, in lockdown, I was supposed to be writing a book. What actually happened was I bought a sewing machine, I bought roller skates, I bought boxing gloves. <laughs> I went mad with crafting like it was the end of the world. And I was doing anything but write this book. And it was frustrating me so much because for the first time in my life, I had time. I had all the time I needed. I wanted to write the book. I had time to write the book. Why wasn't I writing this book? The person who was editing the book just happened to be uh, an autistic person. And she said to me, have you heard of executive dysfunction? And I said, no. And she sent me an article about executive dysfunction, which is a main feature of somebody with ADHD. And it was like someone was describing my life to me because executive dysfunction can read to other people as laziness, right? You've got a task and you're not doing it. And you've had time to do it, but you're not doing it. So you must be lazy. I knew I wasn't lazy because when I wasn't doing the task, I wasn't just doing other stuff and not caring. I was so anxious about it. And that's what used to happen with my schoolwork through my whole life. I'd get myself in such a state about doing a task that I couldn't do it and with this book I was supposed to be writing I got myself in such a state that I ends up in hospital with arrhythmia (laughs) now if you're just lazy that doesn't happen so I knew something else was going on but I had no vocabulary for it and I didn't know this happened to other people as well and the only word I'd had for it up to that point in 2021 Mm -hmm. you're just a failure you're just rubbish Mm -hmm. you're just not as good at other people you can't do things other people can do and there's no reason for it except that you're just a bit shit having that diagnosis meant you sort of rewrite your life story a little bit with different mm-hmm. lenses on it hasn't changed anything I say it's like you're, you're in a running race your feet are made of soap and you don't know that no one else's feet are made of soap you know so they're just running in their Nike trainers and you can't understand why you can't keep up with them but it's because you don't understand that you're dealing with a different mm-hmm. situation and once you know that once you go well of course they're winning the race they've got Nike trainers and I've got feet made of soap <laughs> then you can deal with it. But it's not you're, my fault. You're 46 now. Um, I will be next week. i still week. got a week Ooh, of being 45. <laughs> and you. you're married
1: to Matt. You've got Tina the Cockapoo. I have. Um, So at 46, you may be in the perimenopause, and we know there's quite a lot of information actually around ADHD and menopause and perimenopause. It it actually makes the symptoms, because oestrogen affects the neurotransmission of your brain, Mm. a lot worse for some Mm. women. I've got three friends who've been diagnosed with ADHD in perimenopause because what they were sort of managing suddenly became unmanageable because their oestrogen had gone from their brain. How has that been
2: for you? Well, I think that's another reason why things came to a head when they did, definitely, because they call it masking. I think if you've got ADHD or any sort of neurodivergence, even if you don't know you have it, you mask it to try and appear like everyone else. You know, you say the things you think you're supposed to say, you do the things you think you're supposed to do, and it's exhausting. So I started perimenopause around 40, quite early, actually. That's when things started to become more exhausting and the anxiety got higher. And it was anxiety of trying to, keep up with myself trying to keep up with this persona i sort of constructed this mask i was wearing and i think yeah it's no coincidence that that's when things came to a head and also some of the symptoms are quite similar so the brain fog you know the the not the forgetfulness i've always been quite forgetful but it got to a point where my husband always says he can't open the microwave without there being a cold cup of coffee in it (laughs) And all those little things that have always been there just got more and more and more and are high, harder to hide. What I have found is that the combination of ADHD medication and HRT together seems to really be making a difference. What, and what medication do you get for ADHD? So I am on L-Vance at the moment. It's a frustrating process, or it can be. For some people, they get prescribed a medication for ADHD and bang, it's like switching the light on and they're off. That's not the case for everybody. And it can be a bit disheartening because I think you read a lot about ADHD med- medication yeah. and how it just, you know, immediately changes people's lives. So you've pin all your hopes on that. And when that doesn't happen can be very frustrating and the problem i've had is so the first medication i, I went on didn't really work for me and then they put me on Elvance, vance and you start on a low dose and work your way up i got to a dosage where it was like having a light switched on in my brain it was like the fog cleared and i felt in control and i could do a t- i was making phone calls rather than waiting six weeks to make phone calls you know all of that stuff but unfortunately the dose that was most effective for me also made my blood pressure shoot up. Oh. I couldn't stay on that dose obviously, you know, there's no point in in being able to concentrate but being dead. I um <laughs> I had to bring the dose back down. So I've got this sort of frustrating situation of knowing there's a sweet spot but I can't quite get to it but it does still make a a difference just not as much of a difference as i know it could did you Um, have to really persuade your gp unfortunately at the moment it's not easy i'll be honest the nhs route at the moment is there's a huge bottleneck yeah for several reasons. One, just awareness. More research was done more recently, particularly on women with ADHD, as you'll know. You know, in the past, it was done on basically white boys in America was the only research that was done. And, and now they know how it manifests in women. That means more women are coming forward going, this is me. And I know there'll be people listening and i try and say this there'll be people listening and go bloody hell everyone's got adhd now it can't Mm -hmm. no not everyone has adhd but they do think between two and four percent of the population do so in britain that is 1.2 million people and if those people have so far gone undiagnosed that's why it feels like that's happening now and there's lots of people i believe that are in the prison system you know have been in the mental health system i myself misdiagnosed for 28 years on antidepressants and mood stabilizers Mm -hmm. at one point i was on all these things that now since my diagnosis i'm off all of those medications because of that bottleneck because it's the awareness has gone up obviously at the minute there's a lot of people trying to get a diagnosis and the nhs is overwhelmed. overwhelmed yeah so you know if there are people waiting who want that just get on a waiting list get start the process but in the meantime there are resources that can help you there's the adhd foundation is very good psychiatry uk is very good just you know to read about it and understand yourself and you might have to wait till you can get to medication or whatever but there are things that you can learn about it in the meantime and i've done that typical should... adhd thing i've forgotten yeah. entirely what the actual question no, i <laughs> Just
1: clarify here for listeners that it, it means attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Yes, yeah. Um, and for our listeners in particular, um, Dr Louise Newson, who's the leading uh, menopause doctor here, she has done a 23-page booklet on her Balance app, which explains mm. how it might interact in midlife with what you're going through. And actually what, what it is, mm. as you say, Angela, if you know, <laughs> it's, it means yeah. it's the beginning of the journey, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Well, how has your midlife journey been otherwise? Do you at home with that? lovely cockapoo. My 40s, so far, have been the best decade mm. ever. Like, I part of it is getting to know all of this stuff that we've been talking about and just understanding myself a bit more and forgiving myself a bit more to stop looking outward at what everyone else is doing and just go well actually look where you've got to despite all this that's actually pretty good well done but also you know I got married this year I bought my first place this year I don't know what my 50s will bring I might join the brownies or something I don't know but I <laughs> brown out <owl>. exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just had this arrested development but it all seems mm. to be happening in my 40s and so I found midlife a really nice place to be mm. I do find the, now I've sort of tipped over the midpoint of my 40s, I've started to go, oh, I'm not sure about 50. Like 40 I was all right with, 50 it feels a bit... And I I think that's mostly because I'm a woman on telly and I'm very aware that, mm. you know, the nearer you get to 50, the less attractive you are to people who work in... So it, my anxiety isn't about being 50, it's about... Mm. Am I going to be able to continue doing my job? Am is I that changing to, you know, though, Angela? Because I think, you know, older women's voices
0: are voices. They really are out there now. I mean, women our age, 10 years ago, you just didn't hear from them
2: at all. So it is yeah. kind of, but are you worried in terms of comedy and TV then? That I think we're well, not keeping up with that. I am and I'm not. I do think that now everyone can find their audience and find their tribe mm. because you don't need... Television, you don't need the gatekeepers anymore, and that has been very freeing. To go, you can make podcasts, or you can, uh, you know, do TikTok videos, or you. There's so many ways to get what you're creating out there. That actually, what's the point in me stressing about knocking on a door that doesn't want to open for me? Mm. Fine, I'll just make, you know, I'll go my own way. So I think that's less stressful now than it's ever been in the past Mm -hmm. in that. Yeah, there are more older women's voices on TV, but also TV doesn't want you well fine i'll find people that do television particularly seems to be obsessed with courting a youth market Mm. and i understand why because then it's longevity but young people aren't watching telly the people watching telly is my mum on a saturday night you know or my teenagers don't watch telly they think it's Mm. that they're
1: wondering what the hell they might watch a bit of bake off if we make them but that's it
2: exactly so uh, you know i'm not sure why it's still obsessed with creating stuff for those people and i think that's changing and i think now you know you see much more what happens now is that things end up on telly after they've already been popular online. I just think television as a medium, it's served me very well so far, you know, and it means I can take my stand-up on tour and people will come because they've seen me on Mot the Week or Live the Apollo or whatever. But in terms of the future and my future, I just think the way forward is to go, well, there's there's women my age out there, and men obviously, people my age out there that want entertaining, find a way to get it to them and that might not be on the telly.
1: And do people expect you to be funny all the time? So if they say, oh, we got Angela coming round for dinner, she'll make you laugh, is
2: that, do, do people <laughs> expect that? my friends don't definitely they like they know I'm the least funny of my mates I think when we get together and I think that of a lot of comedians because I think we you know we treat it like it's a sort of is almost academic the way you know when you're writing a joke you're, you're sort of thinking about it and you're not being spontaneously funny down the pub is a completely different muscle you know it's a completely different thing that you're using and I've certainly had it sometimes with you know you'll meet someone you Usually, blokes, if I'm honest, who suddenly they feel like they've got to be funny to you, you know, instantly and come in and start sort of, and they sometimes overstep the mark because they'll say things that they'll sort of start bantering with you, but they forget you don't know them. And you can't just suddenly be rude about people <laughs> when you don't know them, you know. And they'll come in and you're like, why, why are you being mean? Why are you saying that to me? And they've realized they've crossed the line. it's good. Oh, God, you're a comedian. I thought I had to do this weird mm-hmm. banter thing that everyone thinks that comedians do. Right. The talking of rude, let's have a chat about cancel culture and how you how you navigate that <laughs> in the comedy world. Oh, it's such a fake thing <laughs> that has been put about. And I think this idea that there's no free speech in comedy, I just don't buy it. It's, you mm. can say whatever you like. The thing is, as has always been the case, you have to deal with the consequences of saying whatever you like you know, if what you've said is upsetting people, you have to deal with that consequence. And yes, I know there are people now who are professionally offended and that happens on social media or whatever, but there are things you can say that do genuinely upset people. And if that's all you're out to do, well, Good luck to you, I find it boring. You know, I, find, I like comedy because I like jokes. I like things that have a right tan and go where you don't expect them to. I don't need to, you know, to hear things that are just shocking for the sake of it. Mm. I find that so tedious. I think everything that you say in public, particularly, you have to be prepared to defend. And if you can't defend it, then why did you say it in the first place? Where does your spirit
1: come from? Your creation of the jokes. How do you how do you take a little thing that's happened and make it into? part of your show
2: the comedy that I do isn't necessarily the same as the comedy I enjoy you know I enjoy all sorts of comedy that I can't do I like quite surreal comedy or like sketch comedy you know all sorts of things I enjoy that aren't things that I do but I think for me personally the stand-up that I do is kind of observational but it's kind of confessional as well in a way because I always think we're very good in this country I think at self-deprecation it's funny because I've done shows in New Zealand, for example, where self-deprecation—they they almost want to stage an intervention when you do it too much. So, you know, they're sort of like, "Oh my God, is she all right?" You know. <laughs> Whereas in this country, I think we we really don't like arrogance in our comedians. Mm. And so, you know, if a comedian comes out all high status and I'm better than you and I'm going to tell you how it's at, I think your average British audience audience is like, "Who the hell do you think you are?" <laughs> Whereas I think what we like is is a bit of self-awareness a bit of self-deprecation I was say I want my audience to come away from my shows laughing and not thinking oh I wish I was her but thinking thank god I'm not her <laughs> you know what I mean like just come away from the show feeling better about their own lives because oh, they're not me it's like, like our listeners I... Trish yeah <laughs> You know oh, thank it's God like... we're not those two biddies. <laughs> but it's like that thing. I always say that bad dreams are better than good dreams, right? Because when you have a bad dream, you wake up and you go, "Oh, thank God that was just a dream and my life's all right." <laughs> when you have a good dream, where really good things happen, and you wake up, you go, "Oh, it's just the same old shit here." I isn't can't it?
1: fly. I can't, I can't fly. fly. I invisible. haven't won the
2: lottery. This is <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> Oh, and tell us about Hot Mess then. So Hot Mess is the show I took to Edinburgh this year Mm. and I'm taking it on tour next Mm year. Well, it started off being a show about being diagnosed with ADHD, but ironically I got distracted. Um, so, (laughs) So it ended up being a show about quite something else and I won't give too much away. I mean, I do talk about ADHD in it a bit, but it's a show about... There's some things that happened during the pandemic particularly Um, and it's a show about that period in my life about getting married and friendship and yeah I I don't want to give too much away but I'm very proud of it actually it's a show I really enjoyed doing in Edinburgh it was quite well received and I yeah I'm looking forward to taking it out there and do you
0: get kind of a similar response from your male and female audiences because if you're talking about these personal experiences and things
2: yeah I think there's this whole idea it's funny isn't it that uh, female comedians are for women mm. and uh, what I say to that is you know for many years all we were fed was male comedians do you know what I'm a woman but I was still able to laugh at them there's mm-hmm. this idea that you can only laugh at people if you've had the same experiences mm-hmm. as them is, is nonsense you know and it and it just doesn't add up you can very quickly disprove and, and you say to people what you've got no women in your family have ever made you laugh and there's all sorts of fallacies that are out there about what female comedians talk about they will talk about periods and they're mm-hmm. well hey I say to that, if men had periods, do you think they wouldn't bloody mention it in their comedy? Do you think they'd honestly not mention that? You know, men are always talking about their prostate examinations and masturbating or whatever, you know, yet we still are able to laugh at those jokes, so why can't men laugh at our jokes about whatever we talk about to do with our bodies? It's mm-hmm. it's rubbish, this idea that that's all we talk about. Now, before we let you go, Trish and I are doing a live show next Ooh. year, two days, our first okay. ever
1: thing. We're not trained in anything. Like, I mean, literally nothing. We're not trained in podcasting. We're not... I don't know what we've got. We've got... I left school at 16. I've got no qualifications. She's got a handful of O-levels. If we go on stage, right, what are the three things we need to know? How do we warm our audience to us? It might be funny... Funny, peculiar, but we won't be funny, ha So You'll give us some great. advice.
2: I think that the most important thing is that you keep talking. I think sometimes what happens if you're nervous... You can sort of go, I can't remember what I was going to say, and clam up and stop talking. And that's when an audience gets nervous if you're nervous. I've got and that one, Trish. I can do that. Yeah, you've got she, that. She, she it. doesn't stop. Yeah, Brilliant. That's what you need because what it's important to remember is the audience doesn't know what you were going to say next. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not doing Shakespeare. They don't know the script. No. So as long as you say something, they'll assume it was what you're meant to say. So I know a lot of people worry about sort of, what comes next and and whether you're going to forget what you were going to say or whatever. As long as you say something, they don't care and then it will come back to you. Try and make eye contact with the audience. Easier said than done because very often on a stage you can't actually see them. They're in the darkness. But try and just sort of imagine where their eyes are and look at them uh, because that's just a warm gesture. Use those gestures with your hands that bring them in. You know, if you're sat there with your eyes folded looking everywhere. Then then they won't trust you at all. I mean, you'll be fine because you're natural, relaxed, you know, warm people. So oh, uh, pe- oh. people can see they can smell out arrogance and they can smell out insincerity. Right. And it, you know, so they're the things to avoid, really. We're but gonna, you're we're going to take Trisha's pussy with us, Margot. Yes, Margot's <laughs> coming. <laughs> She's She's although i will say i once made the mistake of taking tina on stage yeah. and i say mistake because once you've taken a puppy on stage they're not listening to what you say I'll t- <laughs> they're just i i took her to It was when she was a tiny puppy as well i was on tour and i i used to um with my support act what i'd do is i'd go out first say hello to the audience then introduce my support act on stage and so i brought the puppy out with me sort of did a little bit brought on my support act they did their bit I came back on to do the show and they were just like where's the dog (laughs) I'm never doing that again they're not they're not that's it I've lost any control in this room Uh, now you've been amazing Angela so now we know all we need to do is get a
1: puppy and then our problems will be
2: (laughs) absolutely they won't care
1: what you're doing if
2: you've got a puppy thank you for sharing
1: your mental health journey as well because I think that'll be incredibly useful for Mm. our listeners and thanks for being so honest about it
2: no problem thank you for having
0: It's time for how to win at midlife, and this week we're going to be finding out about a health issue that affects three times more women than men, and in particular, women aged forty to fifty-nine. Yes, so that's all of us in those years leading up to and beyond menopause, um, and yet we know so little about it. So, Lorraine, if I said autoimmune disease to you, what would you
1: say? Well, I don't think it would be my celebrity mastermind subject, that's for sure. Um, But I do know that it's a range of diseases, isn't it? It's things like multiple cirrhosis, rheumatoid arthritis. And I suppose it's something to do with your immune system not working properly. But I don't really know a lot about it. So shall we call 999 postcards our roving Mm. midlife ambulance and get some information because you have been speaking to an expert haven't you Trish?
0: Yes I have I've interviewed Dr Anita Cass who's actually a leading researcher into autoimmune disease and she's actually got this really poignant personal story she was telling me about Um, so her mother developed rheumatoid arthritis after she gave birth to Anita because as we're going to come on to discuss there's a big link between hormone surges in women uh, so post-pregnancy menopause when they can sort of get autoimmune disease diseases. So um, Anita's poor mum died when Anita was only 13. Um, The mum was only 51. And at the funeral, Anita couldn't cope being in the room with all the relatives. And, you know, she'd had such a traumatic experience and all the family friends. So she went into another room in her house and picked up a copy of the Encyclopaedia Britannica to look up rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and there and then she made the decision to become a specialist doctor and it's become her life's work. Isn't that
1: incredible? Oh, I love those stories. That is mm. totally incredible. She lost her mum, but she's probably helped loads of other women, loads of yeah. other daughters with her work. What did she tell you about it, Okay, Bertrish, right. about autoimmune diseases? OK,
0: so we probably just need to have a very, very quick biology lesson on how the immune system works. Yes, so please. the immune system, it's, it's our white blood cells. We've heard of those. And you have about one white blood cell to every 50 red blood cells and they're kind of this little army of cells that eat up pathogens and you're born with your innate immune system um, but then you acquire an immune system from birth which is it's what you're then subjected to and everybody's is immune system is different because we all have different infections we all respond differently we get different viruses etc um so so there's all sorts of clever things going on with t cells and b cells and and the, these kind of things that can recognize very smart viruses a lot of viruses try and replicate what's going on in the body to, to defeat the um, cells. And these cells are very clever and they um, you know, they go in and they sort them out. Um, aging and lifestyle obviously can render our armies tired and less effective. Um, you can get inflammation, infections, and that's why older people are more prone to, to infections and things. But the problem is those cells can turn on us as individuals. And this is what researchers like. Anita are trying to find out as to why they do it and what is going on and there are actually thought to be over 100 autoimmune diseases including lupus, celiac disease, Crohn's disease, type 1 diabetes and um, even psoriasis is, I didn't know that, that's an autoimmune disease. There's one called Hashimoto's thyroiditis which attacks the thyroid cells um, and can cause
1: weight gain, lots of tiredness, exhaustion etc etc. Yeah I've seen on our Facebook actually lots of uh, threads about Hashimoto's Photos and members sharing symptoms um, and advice and support. There's a lot of support there on the Facebook about this kind of thing. So now that I know how it works, why women? This seems very unfair. Why are we more yeah, prone well, to autoimmune diseases than men? Well, that's a really interesting question
0: because women's immune response is much, much stronger and more aggressive compared to men's, which is really interesting. So it means that if our immune system goes rogue um, and turns on us, it does it in a much, bigger way and more frequent way. And so one of the theories, therefore, of course, is that it has to be related to the sex hormones, because that's fundamentally the biggest difference between men and women are are different sex hormones. And um, women are definitely most susceptible to autoimmune diseases during those big hormone fluctuations, which I mentioned earlier. So pregnancy And menopause, um, pregnancy is like a massive switch on and off of hormone changes. So suddenly your hormones switch, don't they, because you become pregnant. And then as soon as you give birth, they switch off again. It's more straightforward for doctors to analyze what's going on then because it's just a straightforward on, on and off hormonal thing. But menopause, of course, doesn't work like that because it's all these fluctuations so it's very difficult to um, research um, and it's less aggressive than pregnancy because it's not that on-off thing so dr anita cass says that things like joint pain in menopause we hear a lot of women have joint pain in menopause and then it's kind of it's eased by estrogen could even be a mini autoimmune reaction because obviously rheumatoid arthritis is triggers joint yeah. pain
1: yeah yeah I mean, it's frustrating, isn't it? Because we did mention last week that figure I found out that in the US women weren't really included in... Much mm, medical research until exactly. nineteen ninety yes, yes, You know they are much more prone to something as kind of aggressive and difficult to mm. diagnose as autoimmune. So your sister Trish, she had, uh, she's got an autoimmune disease, hasn't she? she does. Started in her perimenopause. Yes, yes. Is it exactly. Teresa, your sister?
0: My sister Teresa, she's a year older yes. than me. Um, yeah, and actually, when she was 47, I remember we were away actually on a little girls' mini break, and she was telling me about how she was had these awful pins and needles all down her, from waist downwards, all down her legs into her toes. And she was getting this kind of numbness and this sort of waves traveling up and down her lower body. And her skin was really cold to touch. And, you know, she's obviously really worried about it because, you know, her feet were numb. It was all sorts of strange things. And, you know, she would be absolutely exhausted and wiped out, you know, after one of these episodes. So she went to the GP. The GP... First thing they suggest all oh, it might go away. Leave it for go away, leave it for a little woman. while. Go Someone away. Go away. Might go away. It uh, didn't go away. Um, she spent about three or four months and then she did get a referral. She did, To be fair, she had an X-ray, she had an MRI for, because a, 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 they thought it was probably lower mm. spine damage because that would automatically oh. cause nerve damage. Eventually, she did get to see a specialist who did a, some kind of scan that located lesions on her spine, on the spinal cord. And that's what the autoimmune disease had done. It created these lesions that were then mm. causing all this. So it was really quite, scary, scary time. Luckily, she saw a neurologist specialist who is called Professor Omar Malik. And uh, he, you know, he spent his life researching multiple sclerosis and and other autoimmune diseases. And he diagnosed something called Strogan's myelopathy. So then she Mm -hmm. had to go on a program of very strong drugs, the kind of drugs that you get when you have a kidney transplant. It's all about trying to stop your body rejecting uh, and, and stopping those autoimmune cells going, going mad anyway there's there's a good outcome which we'll talk about in a minute yes
1: yeah, so there's so many symptoms mm. aren't there of these things so autoimmune is incredibly difficult i mean also it's happening exactly the same time as perimenopause which as we know is diagnosed yes. by symptoms and i did read that those who are at risk of developing autoimmune are people who have allergies as well (laughs) which we'll talk about long COVID but I had a post-COVID rash which was an autoimmune response to the virus because I'm someone that has severe allergies it's really complicated isn't it how how do we get it diagnosed well that is
0: the 64 million dollar question of course i think it is that thing a bit like with with perimenopause which you should be doing anyway is is keeping a an eye on your symptoms recording daily and if you've got anything very unusual um absolutely go and see your doctor straight away about it like my sister's you know the pins and needles yes. the numbness anything severe like that interestingly dr anita says that it, it's better to go on hrt earlier because it stops those big hormone fluctuations right and then puts you less at risk potentially obviously this is all theoretical but this is her theory so she says that yeah the the sooner you go on and level out your hormones um you're putting yourself less at risk of an autoimmune disease so yeah keep an eye on those
1: symptoms and a blood test can you get a blood test does that work
0: no, yeah. unfortunately, there, I mean, I'm sure there are tests, but there are no definitive blood tests for each of these conditions. So it's it's a number of different factors that they have to take into account. Right. So it's not easy to diagnose. And the chances are, obviously, GPs, we know they're trying to do so much and they're not experts or specialists in this. So um, I think it's it's just that thing, isn't it, of being informed. And that's what yeah. we're hoping to do by talking about this now.
1: Yeah, um, and is there anything we can do to prevent it? I mean, what could I be doing now? Because obviously I'm in the peak risk zone, aren't I, with allergies and
0: yes, yes, arthritis wow. in the
1: family and all of that kind yes, of
0: stuff. Yes, but, well, the good news, Lorraine, is you are doing all the right things because yes. guess what it comes down to? It's our favourites. Every expert on the show, so, um, you can you know what it is. Diet and exercise. Diet, exercise. Nutrition. nutrition no smoking yeah and and ideally an anti-inflammatory diet so yeah. uh because there's they're also ex- looking into how leaky gut you know like the we've talked a lot about gut health haven't we with like professor tim spectrum mm. show and how if you're eating a lot of processed foods if you're not eating a like a wide variety of vegetables and nutritional foods lots of processed
1: meats your, your you, sister though she she cut wow. out alcohol and everything didn't yeah, she? She, she quite a change to make her was life a bit quite more healthy yeah. she did Drink, but she. You drink her amount now, don't you? <laughs> Yes, she's, levels passed, haven't gone down. she's passed that, uh, yes, I'm, I'm
0: taking yeah. up her quotas as well. You know, she really just, because obviously the drugs that she was on, these these mega sort of uh, steroids and, you know, anti-inflammatory, mm. or whatever those drugs were, meant that she had to give up work for a while, stress, the doctor told her. So she ended up going back to work part-time and she was, um, she's always been into yoga. She's a yoga teacher as well, but she started running and really doing a, a bit more kind of bone density stuff and, and um uh, you know a lot of exercise and she's vegan and to be fair she's not had any attacks for years and when i
1: talked to dr cass about that she said that was quite unusual and really really good well i mean we don't want to send everyone to the gps with all the things but we do know if you get healthy and we have there have been so many people we've had on the podcast so go onto our website postcards from midlife.com and have a look at all the episodes and you can get all the advice you want There's, there, we had someone talking about uh, anti-inflammatory diet we've had everybody on so yes. have a look at the information you need but the interesting thing at the moment though is that there is a link isn't there they think with long covid and autoimmune disease and yes. given women are much more likely to get autoimmune disease well, we have to think about this don't
0: exactly we? well guess what long covid mostly affects women aged 40 to 59, yet again, Good our God. age group. <laughs> no wonder I'm so militant, Trish. It decreases after that age, right? right? So when you get into your 60s, so again, you know, I'm thinking hormones here, uh, that yep. big hormonal transition period. And interestingly, this Dr. Cass was telling me that children with long COVID, the ratio is one to one boys and girls, right. but not in
1: older women. So there is definitely something going on there with sex hormones and fluctuations. Well, it is absolutely fascinating, Trish. I hope we haven't scared anybody, but we are just making you all aware. We Mm -hmm. will put all the notes and there will be a list of resources. On our private Facebook group and everywhere else we can, because we are saving lives with our nine 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 post midlife exactly. ambulance service. That's what we want. Where to can do. I get Anita Cass's book?
0: So. Well, her book is called The Immune Mystery, which is a really interesting read because it's part memoir about her story about her mum and growing up right. with somebody who's got rheumatoid arthritis. And, and actually, Anita lives in Norway. And um, for our listeners in Norway, we know you're out there because you oh, they're coming to, the group. Yes, coming. Exactly. Yeah. coming to the show. Yes, exactly, coming to the show. Um, So Anita's actually doing a sort of live shows and a tour to talk about menopause, autoimmune, etc. So you can check out her website, anitacass.com,
1: for more information. Thank you, Dr Halpin. (laughs) (laughs) Back at it. My homemade DIY jingle for Nostalgia Noodle. What have you got for me? Where have you gone in the help and tardis of time?
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, this was prompted by a song on the radio. And it was one of those things that, you know, you th- you know we've been around the block. We've been on this planet quite a long time. Speak for yourself. You've been oh. here a bit longer than me. Well, I know. But you know what? It's <laughs> that you learn something new every day. And I learned something new about the eurythmic song, There Must Be an Angel, which was released in 1985. So nearly 40 years on, I never knew this. Do we get a few bars, Trish? (laughs) 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 That's not very good, is it? I don't think Annie's got anything to worry about. Right, I'm going to see if you know this.
1: Go on then. Who played the harmonica on that song? Oh, is it someone famous? It is someone famous. Not just famous, like
0: so famous. How did Um... I not know this? Adamant. (laughs) No, uh, very, very, very way off. It was Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. Look, even our producer Amanda is looking shocked. You didn't know that either. You see, there's always something noodley that you can learn can i name things. drop
1: about Annie? Lennox of
0: course now, you then. can of course I, this was only just a setup for you to be able to <laughs> name drop because you've done your dave stewart name drop yes before, so you've had my that letter one. my so note from can't dave do, about we
1: can't debbie do Moore. That one yeah. again so go on um annie so i've just had my baby first baby so this is my noodle i guess because this is 20 nearly 21 yes. years ago and i'm Doing that thing where I would just gone out with her for the first time, and a, a stone had fallen out of my engagement ring, and we had to Ooh. take it back to the little jeweller in uh, Notting Hill. And because I was so precious about the baby, I couldn't take her out of her car seat, Trish, in case I don't okay. know the wind touched her skin oh. or something, or that she was just—you know—you go mad, don't oh you? You go God, a bit mad yes. with first baby. I used to go around turning the, um, putting the lids of the loo down in case things crawled out. I was. Potty or about...
0: (laughs) Or you dropped it down the toilet. Anyway,
1: I'm carrying my precious cargo. I pop it Mm -hmm. on the top in the jeweller shop and all the people looking at me thinking, lunatic. Um, And as I'm explaining about my Mm. engagement room, a lady is talking to the baby and rocking Mm. the little... Baby in its little car thing. singing I away to it's it. Be. To the I know fish And who was it? It was Annie, Annie Lennox. Lennox singing to baby Sky. Or was she singing with her There Must Be hair. an Angel? Imagine if she was singing There Must Be an Angel. Don't be silly, Trish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I like the kind of sort of serendipity, right. the kind yeah. of all of yeah. that. Can you name the band that Dave and Annie were in before the Eurythmics? Steps. No,
1: the tourists. Do you oh, of Can you name oh, any of punk? The songs? More of a punk band, the tourists, though, Kondolf, weren't they? kind yeah. No, I can't. I can't remember, Trish, oh, no, what I did yesterday okay, or how all right. the supermarket trolley works. Of course, um, I can't remember 30 years ago. They did a cover of
0: I Only Want to Be With You. Oh, yeah. And It's So Good to Be Back Home. I'm not going to
1: sing it. No, I don't. Never heard that one. Well, if I sang it, you might go Go on. Do it. No. <laughs> It's so good, so good, so good to be back home again. Well, I'm none the wiser, but thank you for that, yes. (laughs) Well, my dear friends, that brings us to the end of this week's Postcards from Midlife. New episodes are available to listen to every Sunday on your podcast provider. And we would be very, very grateful if you could download your episodes because this means they count on our listener numbers. And we would love a review, please, if possible. Um, That would be marvellous.
0: Yes, and please tell all your friends about us because we want as many women as possible to join in the Midlife conversation. And why don't you all come along together? to Postcards from Midlife live which is yes. happening next May 19th and 20th of May at the Business Design Centre in London tickets on sale now at postcardsfromidlifelive.co.uk uh, but you can uh, you can just live the Postcards from Midlife experience I'm
1: very excited about that yes pop to the Facebook group look out for news put any feedback there of topics you might want us to discuss if you want to email us and we do get some really lovely emails mm. and very proactive suggestive emails um, from our listeners you can email us directly and it's just me and Trish saying it's Mm -hmm. at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or you can pop a little message on our Instagram.
2: Goodbye, bye!